Oh, loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness to us. We thank you for leading us to this place. Lord, we thank you that for many in this room, we can speak of your loving hand guiding us to the saving knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, we pray by your word now, by your spirit, you would continue to lead and to guide us, your people. And Lord, would you use these gifts that have been given this evening and through the week, that we in turn might be used by you to lead others to Jesus Christ. That his name might be glorified in our lives and in the lives of many millions of others around this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, please do uh, take a seat and keep your Bibles open at uh, Exodus 17. On the 6th of July 2005, Jacques Rocher stood up in a conference center in Singapore. In his hand... He had an envelope. In that envelope was the culmination of two years of campaigning and persuasion. Two years of discussion and deliberation. As Rocha began to speak, the room fell silent. The International Olympic Committee has the honor of announcing that the games of the 30th Olympiad in 2012 are awarded to the city of... Now, what's interesting is that the very next word that Rocha uttered brought about a reaction from the whole room. A significant, powerful, and an emotional reaction. But that next word, London, sparked reactions that could not have been more contrasting. In one part of the room, the London bid team, well, they went wild. Screaming and shouting, waving their arms in the air, hugging and jumping up and down, tears of joy streaming down their faces. just a few meters away at the tables next door. There were also tears. Tears of bitter disappointment and disbelief as the Paris bid team realized that their dreams lay in tatters. They had come second. And when it comes to hosting the Olympics, there is no silver medal. If you get the chance when you get home tonight, do watch that video if you can. It's still on YouTube. And it's a remarkably powerful example of how one announcement, one judgment, one verdict can affect two different groups of people in wildly different ways. And you'll see that Jack Rocker 
also had a lot of trouble opening his envelope. <laughs> but his words that day, well, well, they were heard and understood in exactly the same way by everyone in that room. But for some, they were words of triumph and victory, of a job well done and a dream realized, whilst for others, they were words of regret, regret and anguish, of failure and defeat. The same words, the same announcement, the same judgment, the same verdict. The two very different responses. And what we see in our passage this evening as we continue our journey through the book of Exodus what we see is, is something very similar. Two very different experiences of exactly the same event. One group of people who, who experience this moment and, and find joy and peace, refreshment and life. Whilst another group meet the same event and know only destruction and defeat, failure and death. You see, it may appear at first reading that the two accounts recorded in Exodus chapter 17 actually have very little in common with each other. One is a, a story of yet another episode of grumbling amongst the ancient Israelite people. The other, a report of their first military battle since leaving Egypt. And yet there is one thread that runs through both accounts. One detail which ties these two accounts together and indeed ties them into the broader narrative of the book of Exodus as a whole. And that detail is the staff of God. I should say this isn't actually it. This is just a, a visual aid. But before we go any further in the narration of these two episodes, we must make sure that we understand the significance of this staff. Because you see, just as that envelope that Jack Rocker held up in Singapore that day in, in 2005 was not just an envelope, so too the staff that Moses held was not just a piece of wood. The clue is, is right there in our passage, verse 5. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff. The staff with which you struck the Nile. You see, we first heard of this staff way back in chapter 4 as the Lord prepared Moses to confront Pharaoh. And ever since then, time and time again, this staff has been used to bring God's judgment, to enact his purposes on this earth. As we read here, it, it was used to turn the Nile to blood, the first of the ten plagues. But then the frogs, the gnats, the hail, the locusts, each of them too was brought about by Moses or Aaron stretching out their hand with the staff that God had given them. And it's not that this staff was, was some sort of magic wand. It's rather that it was the symbol of God's action in this world. 
the outward sign of the power that Yahweh had over his creation. The marker of of his position as the right and just judge of this universe. As Moses explained to Pharaoh in Exodus 7, this is what the Lord says, by this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed into blood. The power is the Lord's. But that power, that that right to judge, is symbolized by the raising of the staff. And so in the the second half of our passage this evening, in Exodus 17, as the Amalekites uh, attack the ancient Israelites, what is Moses' response? Well, look at verse 9 with me. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men. And go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow, I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Now, many people have seen this episode as a, as a call to prayer. Supposing that, that Moses lifts up his hands to pray to God for the deliverance of the ancient Israelites. But you know, nowhere in these verses is prayer mentioned. Now, I think it seems far more likely that as Moses stands on the hilltop, hands aloft, it's not a great example of prayer, but rather a dramatic pronouncement of God's judgment. Because in those raised hands, he held the staff of God. No wonder he needed the help of Aaron and her to keep his arms up all day. Just as the staff had had heralded the judgment of Pharaoh, so as Moses raised it yet again, it marked the judgment of the living God falling upon those who dared to attack his people. Just as Pharaoh before them, so the Amalekites joined the ranks of all those throughout history who have defied Yahweh and have opposed his people. So verse 16, Moses said, because Amalekite hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will lift up his hand, his staff of judgment, and will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. For the enemies of Yahweh, the raising of his staff of judgment spells only defeat and destruction. They cannot stand against the holy God, the living God, the good and righteous God of the Bible. That's what his staff means for them. But as we then allow that context, that insight, to shed light back on the first half of our passage this evening, well then, so we see that the staff of God's good and right judgment can also bring another response, another outcome. It need not only result in death and defeat. 
Let's read again from verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. Well, so far, this is a depressingly familiar scene. The ancient Israelites, as they make their way through the wilderness, were, it seems, never too far from a grumble. Though they continued to know the Lord's provision of of quail and manna, though they'd seen his abundant provision of water at Elim and, and Marah, though they'd walked through the Red Sea on dry ground, he brought them safe out of Egypt. Still, it doesn't take them long to complain. It doesn't take long for them to forget. It doesn't take long for them to say they wish they'd never left. And it seems this time that they've even taken it up a level. No longer just grumbling, but now quarreling. Moses even fears for his own safety. They're almost ready to stone me, he says. And where the Lord had responded to their grumbling before with gracious provision, well, this time, this time it seems as though something else may be in store. Let's read on from verse 5. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Friends, we might not immediately recognize it, but this is a courtroom scene. This is a trial. The people are are gathered. The elders stand before them. The staff, the staff of God's judgment. taken up and Yahweh himself is there surely this is it surely this time the Israelites have gone too far that staff was was raised against Pharaoh and the right and just judgment of the Lord came down that staff would soon be raised against the Amalekites as Yahweh proclaimed his perpetual opposition to them, his judgment for their rejection of him and for their assault on his people. Now, well, now it is the turn of ancient Israel. The court is in session. The accused stand in the dock, and their crime is clear for all to see. They had repeatedly questioned the Lord's character his provision and his protection. We're told in verse 7 they'd even questioned his presence. Is the Lord among us or not? 
The same Lord who'd brought them out of slavery, who'd defeated their enemies, who'd graciously provided, who'd shown himself faithful time and time again. That Lord, they'd grumbled against that Lord. They'd quarreled with his chosen leader. And ultimately, they'd rejected his rule in their lives. We could have done it better ourselves. would be a good summary of their position. And so as the judge takes his place, and the staff of power is raised, there can only be one outcome. One verdict, one result. Strike, he commands Moses. Strike! And you know that word, strike, well, well it's the same word that was used against Pharaoh and, and the ancient Egyptians. Way back in chapter 3, as he speaks to Moses from the burning bush, Yahweh utters these words. He says, I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. In fact, to this day in Hebrew, the the ten plagues, well, they aren't called plagues at all. Instead, they're known as the ten strikes. Ten strikes of God's staff of judgment against those who would dare to defy him. Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike, said the Lord. Strike. Strike the rock. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. This is a totally different outcome. A totally different result. The same staff, the the staff of God, the same action, a strike of judgment. But a stunningly different result. The right and good judgment of Yahweh does fall. But it doesn't fall on the ancient Israelites. It falls on the rock. And the result for the Hebrews were water. Thirst-quenching, life-giving water. As the judgment of God falls on another, so his people are provided for in abundance. So his people know life and joy and peace. The outcome couldn't be more different from that that Pharaoh had known. And later that the Amalekites would know. As the staff of God's judgment came crashing down at Rephidim. It brought relief. And sustenance. 
and life. Like those two sides of the room at that conference center in Singapore. The contrast between the ancient Israelites and the Amalekites couldn't be starker. Both had faced the same judgment. Both had met with the staff of God. But the end result was oh so different. Only in another sense, this was nothing like that room in Singapore. You see, the ancient Israelites hadn't put together a really strong bid for God's favor. They'd not presented a watertight case for being selected for life. They'd not petitioned God with a a top team of national ambassadors, each extolling the virtues of their nation, of their people. No. In fact, what they'd done was grumbled. They'd complained. They'd questioned God's goodness. They'd questioned his presence with them. Arguably, they'd questioned his very existence. The ancient Israelites didn't experience God's judgment differently because they'd done better than the Egyptians or the Amalekites. If anything, they'd been worse, given the magnitude of Yahweh's kindness to them up to this point and the depths of their ingratitude. And yet, yet the staff of God does not come crashing down on them as we might expect. Why? Why? Well, because the God of the Exodus, the true and living God, Yahweh, he is a God of mercy, of undeserved, unmerited, unearned kindness. He chooses in his sovereignty to love his people, to provide for them, and to spare them the wrath they deserve. But he's still a God of justice. So so that rebellion, that sin, that refusal to acknowledge who he is, well, it cannot go unpunished. And so instead of the staff of God's judgment falling on the ancient Israelites, instead it comes crashing down on the rock. Now I know what you're thinking. How is that a just and right punishment for the sin of ancient Israel? The Egyptians, the Amalekites, well, they paid with their lives. Is whacking a rock really a suitable judgment for the sin of the Hebrew people? But friends, this wasn't just a rock. Look again at verse 6. As the courtroom scene is assembled, Yahweh, the great God of all, says this. He says, I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. I will stand there. And friends, if we bear in mind that the prepositions can be difficult words to translate, uh, that by could just as easily be on. I will stand there before you on the rock at Horeb. Well then, then striking that rock takes on a whole new meaning. As Moses brought down the staff of God, he struck not the ancient Israelites, 
He struck their God. Yahweh himself. Yahweh himself bore the judgment they deserved. And as he took the blow, so life-giving water flowed out from him to revive and to refresh his people. Friends, that is certainly how the Apostle Paul saw it. Just listen to his summary of this event in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. As the staff of God's judgment fell that day, that split rock giving forth thirst quenching water, that rock was at the time a genuine substitute for the people of ancient Israel. They deserved the same fate as the Egyptians before and the Amalekites after. Faced with God's good and right and holy justice, they were every bit as guilty as the nations around them. And yet God caused his judgment to fall on himself instead. That he might continue to provide for his redeemed people. And so, of course, that rock was, was also a foreshadowing, a beautiful picture of the rock, the true and, and living rock, Jesus Christ, who would one day be broken so that his people might know life. Centuries after these events at Rephidim, the prophet Zechariah, having just spoken of the fountain that would be open to cleanse God's people from sin and impurity, would utter these words. Awake, sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Zechariah goes on, I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say, Yahweh is our God. Centuries after that, the Lord Jesus Christ would apply those words to himself. As he hung on that Roman cross, giving his life that his people might be spared theirs. As he hung there, so the shepherd was struck. The staff of God's good and and right judgment came crashing down on God himself. And as it did, so life-giving water flowed out from him 
refreshing all who would seek refuge in him. All who would throw themselves on the mercy of our great God and trust only in the rock that is Christ, broken for his beloved people. You see, friends, the judgment of God is a wonderful thing. Bringing justice and peace. Putting an end to sin and and all its effects. For those who persist in opposing Yahweh, the raising of that staff can mean only one thing. They will know God's wrath for their injustice and cruelty, abuse and exploitation. Justice will be done. Oh, that is good news. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, as the staff is raised, we may rejoice. For we know that in his mercy, our loving God has taken the punishment we deserve on himself. In the person of his son, Jesus Christ. From that day in Rephidim onwards, Moses needed only to look at his staff to remember the Lord's kindness to his undeserving people. The Lord is my banner, he declared. Question for us today is will we look upon the banner that is Christ and see him stricken that we might know life, punished and afflicted that we might go free? Will we delight in the judgment of the Lord that brings justice and righteousness, that rights the wrongs of this world? And will we delight as the judgment that we deserve falls instead on the Lord Jesus Christ, our rock and our redeemer. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you are a God of justice. As we look around this world, we see so much that makes us weep. So much injustice and cruelty, abuse and exploitation. We thank you that justice will be done. But even as we say those words, Lord, we thank you too. That as your staff of judgment is raised up, so we may know that your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, has taken the full force of its blow for us. That we might know life refreshment, provision, sustaining, 
Oh Lord, teach us to look on the rock which is Christ. To rejoice that he was struck. That we need not be. And to delight in the provision of you, our generous God.